Amen. Amen. I want us to uh, get a couple other quicker things. Quicker things. Sound Italian. Let's have some spaghetti. <laughs> I got a couple of quicker things. And I'm German. I don't even know where that came from. That was, bless my heart. <laughs> um, wanted to let you know, uh, we're going to do, we've had quite a few people said, hey, we need to put together a church directory. There's so many of us now, people don't know each other. Well, the problem, if we print one, it'll be out of date in a month. So what we need to do is do, we're going to do one digitally, and we're going to build it all online. Michelle Norris, stand up real quick, Michelle. Michelle's a photographer, and she is going to be starting July 14th, July 21st, and July 28th. We're going to start taking pictures. So there's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby. It's not going to cost you anything. If you decide you want to keep some of the pictures, you can get with her and buy some. But we're, we're just going to put an online directory together. So if somebody mentions to you, hey, do you know so-and-so? You can go to the church website. Bing, there they'll be. You know, go, that's them. And so now you'll know. So we're going to plan on doing that. Thank you, Michelle, for, for volunteering. And we're going to be getting after that. And uh, Lord just really kind of laid something on my heart as we were over here. Leroy Menon's in the hospital still. He's home. We need to pray for him. He's physically been having a lot of challenges. And I really feel like as a church body, we need to pray for him. And uh, so let's do that real quick. Father, we just thank you that you are God. And we know, Lord, that your word says that you're the healer and that by your stripes we're healed. So right now we speak to Leroy's body and we call it to line up with your word that he is healed and healthy and whole. Father, we're believing for a medical miracle. And I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please let him know we're praying for him. You got your Bibles? Hold them up real quick. So this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth, transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you guys believe that? It's true, isn't it? It's true. God's word has the power to change us. You know, the, the last couple of weeks I've been doing single messages, I, as you know, I usually teach in three, four, six-week series, but the Lord just kind of keeps bringing up the, these one-message deals. And uh, I was going to start a series this week on the Holy Spirit called The God I, I, ever, I Never Knew. And uh, for the second week in a row, I really feel like the Lord has not wanted me to do that. And I know whenever that happens that there are people that in this body that are specifically here today for a word from God. And so... Today, we're going to talk about doors. We're going to talk about doors and pathways and decisions because some of you, whether I know you or not, they're face, you're facing some critical challenges, some critical decisions right now, and some of the decisions you're going to make are going to impact the rest of your life. These are big deals. And so if that's you today, if you're one of those people that's sitting out there that you're facing this decision, you've got something going on, God's wanting to talk to you today. Now, some of you go, well, pastor, right now, I'm not dealing with anything like that. Everything's going well. Guess what? You're going to have another decision down the road. There's going to come another time where you're going to need to hear from God. This is a big deal. This is one of those messages that if you'll sit, every message every week has the ability to change your life. But I want you to know, as I studied this and studied this and studied this and researched and looked through this, there's some extreme power in here. Because, see, one of the big questions that I get a, as a pastor is people come in and invariably in the course of a conversation they say, Pastor, what do you think I should do? What should I do about this? What should I do about that? Some of the decisions are relatively small. Pastor, do you think I ought to buy this kind of car? Pastor, should I get a cat or a dog? Dog. <laughs> you know, pastor, you know, pastor, you know, what color bass boat should I get? You know, we, those kind of things are not that big of a deal, right? We can make those decisions. But sometimes the decisions are, pastor, should I get a divorce or not? Pastor, where should I go to college? Pastor, should I marry this person? Pastor, how should I? And they're big deals. And I want to tell you, in every one of our lives, there are decisions and crossroads that we come up to that are huge. And you know that when you make this decision, that the decision you make and the path that you begin to take, it has repercussions for the rest of your life. And so with that in mind, as I prepared this message today, I know there are people that need to hear this. So open up your spiritual ears this morning. Amen? All throughout Scripture, we see the use of doors 
of decision, doors of decision-making. Jesus in the New Testament says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man opens, if anyone opens the door, I'll come in. And I'll fellowship with him. I'll be a part of him. In other words, there's a decision. I'm knocking, but are you going to open the door? Decision. In the Old Testament, one of the greatest examples, there's examples literally all through the Bible. But God says, behold, I give you two, two choices today. Basically, door number one and door number two. Door number one is life. Door number two is death. And then he follows that statement up with choose life. Choose life. How many of you have ever seen the show Price is Right? Come on down, right? Don't you love that show? I remember watching that show when I was in college. For some reason, all the guys, we'd sit around and watch The Price is Right. It's probably because we were all broke, you know? And, and we, would, we would come home from class, and there'd be a bunch of us, and we'd get together, and we'd watch Bob Barker, hey, you know, and the music's going. And, and eventually in the show, if you haven't ever seen it, there are these screens, usually three, three curtains or three doors, and they'd say, choose. You'd, the winner would come along, and they'd, you don't know what's behind the door. You don't know. It could be a new Ferrari, or it could be a bathtub. You know, you really don't have any idea. And Bob would say, which door? And the crowd's screaming out, one, three, whatever. And, and in the course of the day, they, they go, ah, door number two. And, and they open up door number two, and it's a new refrigerator or whatever. Right? I just gave you the summary. If you've never seen one, that's it. You don't ever have to watch the show. But the big buildup is what's behind the door. Sometimes it's things people really want. Sometimes it's a dream vacation. Sometimes it's a really cool car. You know, me, if I did it, it'd probably be like, oh, a bathtub. Woo! You know, I mean, it's just like whatever. That's how many of us go through life. We don't really know. We have decisions to make, and we kind of approach life like we do the prices right. Door number one, door number two, nah, two. Why? I don't know. Just going to kind of see what happens. And then we have to live with that decision sometimes for the rest of our lives. So this is a big deal, what we're talking about today. I'm talking about knowing how to hear the voice of God and make a decision. How to, how to make that decision when it really, really matters. You know, there's, there's two groups of people that I'm talking to here today. Some of you are at decision points in your life that may very well determine the direction of your life. Others of you, many of you, feel like the decisions you have made have set you on a course for which there's no recovery. You chose door number two, and now you're stuck with door number two the rest of your life. And maybe it was bad decisions. Maybe it was some things that you've you've had to live with, with these decisions you've made, and you feel like, you know what? I chose that. There's nothing I can do with it. Now I just have to put ice on it and deal with it. Both groups of people, God can help either one of you the same. Listen to this. Revelation 3, 7 through 8 says this. What he opens, what God opens, what Jesus opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And then he says something really amazing. I know your deeds. God's saying to us, what I open, nobody can shut. What I shut, nobody can open. And then he follows that up with, I know your deeds. In other words, I know you, Lord, I know what you've done. Todd, I know what you've done. Mark, I know what you've done. But God says this. He said, listen to me. He said, what I open, nobody can shut. What I shut, nobody can open. In other words, if I've got a plan for your life, nobody can shut that door, not even you. Somebody needed to hear that. Because sometimes we feel like, well, I turned my back on God. I shut my door to God. Let me tell you something. You're not big enough to shut your door for God. That means God is limited. That means God's not big enough. And the devil has convinced you that God doesn't want you anymore because of some of the decisions that you've made. And you felt like, well, I'm sure God just shut that door and blah, 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 whatever. Stop. You're not big enough. He said, when I shut a door, I know your deeds. I know what you've done. But that doesn't change the fact that I still have the door. That is good news, folks. That is good news. And then he says this. I know your deeds. And then he says, see. And when you see that word, he says, see, that means look. Look. 
I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Wow. That is good. That is good. I want to share with you today these amazing truths, and here's the truth. That if you'll let it, this word today, this word will change your life. Some of you that have been holding on to bad decisions, some of you that have been carrying that baggage around, some of you that have said, you know what, God, it's too late for me, are going to get your eyes open today, and a change is going to happen. Because it doesn't have to be that way anymore. But how do you choose the right door? I mean, okay, I get the fact that God, I mean, he's very clearly here saying there are doors. But how do you choose the right door? Well, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you some very practical ways in a few minutes to make the right decision, to hear God's voice. It's not as hard as you think. It's not as hard as you think. Ephesians 5.17 says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, everybody say unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand, everybody say understand, what the Lord's will is. Listen to me. On Wednesday night, Carol's been teaching a class on wisdom, and it's been talking about guardrails. Trish and I have talked talked to me a few minutes ago. Trish was talking about wisdom, and the Bible tells us that wisdom is the principal thing. In other words, wisdom is something that's hugely important for us to get. And it's very simple. God is not trying to make decisions hard for you. As a matter of fact, he has set up guardrails on your life to protect you. What's a guardrail? What's a guardrail? On a bridge, on a curve. What do guardrails do? Let's talk about it for a minute. What do guardrails do? Do what? They protect you. What else do guardrails do? Keep you alive? Keep you in line? That's good. What else? Keep you on the road. You know what? Have you ever been in the mountains where there were guardrails protecting you from rocks hitting you? You ever seen that? Up in Colorado in different places, there'll be signs that say, hey, watch for falling rocks, which I always thought was hilarious. What are you going to do? I got it. I got it. You know what I mean? That doesn't usually work. But I've been on the mountains up in Colorado where they're dynamiting and doing different things, and there'll be these huge retaining walls, guardrails, that are there basically to keep you from running into the mountain, but also keep the mountain from running into you. So guardrails, really, a, maybe a better name for a guardrail is a guide rail. They're really there to guide you. They're there, there to protect you. And, um, you know, a few months ago, Taylor had some friends over to the house, and the little boy that was driving the car uh, was unfamiliar with our roads. And, and I know our roads are really, really straight and everything where we live. <laughs> a snake could get lost on our road. I mean, these things are curvy. Well, this little boy left the house. And hadn't even gone a quarter of a mile, and there's a bridge with about a 16-foot drop and a guardrail. He skidded about 50 feet straight into that guardrail. And we have got down there, and his car was hanging over the edge, literally, of this guardrail. And here's what's amazing. If that guardrail had not been there, he would have shot off, and it would have probably killed them all because two of the girls didn't have their seatbelts on. And I walked over and I looked and the deputy and we were all looking at this car. And this car, if it had been one more inch to the left or the right, it would have killed every one of them in the car. Literally. It hit just to the left of one of those big I-beams. And it broke off right there and that's where the car was. If he had been one inch to the left. And I brought him over. I said, son, look at this. God just saved your life. This guardrail just saved your life. Now the problem is it totaled his car. And then he had to call Papaw. <laughs> I got to talk to Papaw. He was pretty excited. What did he do? Ran into a guardrail, told your car, where are you? You know? I don't know. My name is Bob. You know, I mean, I like. <laughs> but the reality is that guardrail saved his life. So, so guardrails are really guardrails. They protect us. And there are two biggies in God's kingdom, and we're going to talk about those right now. I want you to imagine your life. Your life is this highway. Life is a highway. Okay, so your life is a highway, and on both sides of the highway are guardrails. And these guardrails are guiding your life, and they're there to protect you, right, and keep you on track. And I want you to understand something. 
At the end of the road, at the end of these guardrails, is when decision-making happens. And these guardrails are there to guide us. And so we're going to name each of these guardrails, the one on the right and the one on the left. Here's the guardrail on the right. Guardrail number one is God's moral will. God's moral will. What does that mean? That means what God has already said in his word. That's what it means, is what God has already said in his word. Let me tell you why this is important. This is huge. God will never say anything contrary to what it says in the Bible. God will not go against his word. If God says something is sin, it's sin. There is no, there is no gray area with God. God is not confused. God is not confused. There is black and white. Now, many of us live in gray, and I tend to be one of those people sometimes that, eh, mm -mm, not with God. He's very clear. You know, you can ask God a question, he doesn't go, hmm, let me get back to you on that. He's not confused. When God calls something sin, it's sin. When God calls something good, it's good. God is very clear. So when we talk about a guardrail over here, one of the things you can always know, when you've got a decision in your life that's coming up, what does the, you'll hear me say that if you come to me to talk to me about anything that has to do with decision making, here's the first words that are almost invariably going to come out of my mouth. What does the word say? What does the word say? Is the decision you're about to make line up with the moral will of God? Because here's the deal. If it doesn't, it's not God's will for you. If you were to come up to me and say, Pastor, I've been praying lately and I'm confused. I say, okay, what are you confused about? Well, I need to make some money and I was thinking about knocking over the bank. <laughs> what do you think? What's God's moral will say? That's an easy decision. We don't even have to pray about that one. What does the Bible say? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt probably get shot, verily. <laughs> right? Right? And there are other decisions to say, but what, what if the pastor, what if I should cheat on my taxes? See, that's the gray area to many people. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about these things? See, see here's the deal. We categorize sin, don't we? Murder, woo, that's bad. Adultery, that's bad. We've got all, as humans, we have all these bad, bad things. But you know, some, <laughs> did you know that gluttony's a sin? <laughs> but to us, but to God, he's going, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. My temple needs to be a little smaller. He doesn't need that much room. <laughs> I've even done some add-ons for him. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, but see, we, we kind of do that, don't we? And I want to tell you something right now. Some of you, the light just went on. You don't even need to come see me now. Because if there's a decision in your life that you need to be making, and it's against the moral will of God, then it's sin. And here's the problem. When we go against God's moral will, we do just what that young man did at that bridge the other day. We run right into the, the wall. And here's what's sad to me. Pastor, I don't understand why that happened. Pastor, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? And, and the obvious answer is, look, dude, God said what you were doing was sin. You knew that. And you drove straight into that guardrail and then you were surprised when it stopped your car. And it's not because God's mad at you. It's not because God's mad at you. I remember thinking as a young man especially that the Ten Commandments were so we couldn't have a good time. I sat in a class this week. I've spent about a lot of, a lot of time this week in class. About three hours of one of these classes I was taking was about drug use and what drug use does to people. And it talked about meth and it talked about all the different chemical things that happen in people's lives 
And when they start down this road, they said, one thing that is so horrible about meth is that it destroys your body from the inside out, but it destroys your mind. And what happens is it makes people selfish. There are mothers who literally will abandon their children for a drug. And it destroys their lives and destroys their families. And as I began to see these things, when we run up against these guardrails where God's telling us not to do it, and then we're surprised when our lives begin to fall apart, and it's not because God's mad at us, the Ten Commandments are there to protect us. The guardrails are there to protect us. And it amazes me how many times, and I've done this too, guys, where I'm, God, I want to jump off the bridge. Let me jump off the bridge. Why is this stupid guardrail here? And God's going, you have no idea what's going to happen if you jump off this bridge. How many of you have ever been around a little child that wanted to get their hand in the oven or something? How many of you have ever been around a child that wanted to stick their hand up on a stove or in a fire or something like that? You ever seen a little kid walking around, you know, little bitty ones, and they're just kind of going and, and they're, they're about to fall off in the street or something? They don't have a clue, do they? They're innocent. They don't have a clue. They don't know that they're about to run out in the middle of traffic. And as a parent, we run out there and grab them. And sometimes what do we do after we grab them? What? Spank them, don't we? Why? Because we're mad at them? Yep. I don't want to look at Yep. <laughs> that was probably the smartest part of this whole message. You know why? Because that's what we think. God doesn't discipline us because he's mad at us. He disciplines us because he's protecting us. And the Bible tells us that a bad father doesn't discipline his children, but a good father does. And God is the good father. And we think, why is God being so mean to me? And what you don't know is there's a train coming down that track. Guardrail. So one guardrail is God's moral will. So if part of the decision you need to make right now is, is this right, is this wrong, what does God's word say? If God's word says it's wrong, then that's the decision. And then you have to choose. Here's the second guardrail on the left-hand side. This is God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will. And that's what God is doing on the earth. That's God's big plan. That's God's overarching. That's how he controls everything. God's sovereign will was that Jesus would come and die for us. God's sovereign will is that the children of Israel would leave Egypt. And here's what happens a lot of times in God's sovereign will. In both, in both of God's will, we have to make a choice. One choice is clear. What does God's word say? God's sovereign will is how do we cooperate with God? What is God's will in this situation? What is God's best in this situation? Sometimes there are decisions that we need to make and it's not clear to us. Neither one of them is wrong morally. They don't go against God's will. In other words, what college should I go to? Should I marry this person or not? That's where we get into God's sovereign will. And I'm going to talk in a second about how we hear from him. So here's this great truth, and this is in your notes. The more I get to know the moral will of God and the sovereign will of God, the better I will find God's will for my life. The more I get to know the moral will of God and the sovereign will of God, the better I will find God's will for my life. And I want to say this, and I want everybody to hear me. Listen, guys. Listen. Don't expect to go against God's will and your life to be okay. It doesn't work. God loves you. God sent Jesus to die for you. He has paid the price. But if you are going against his will, not because he loves you, the laws are in place. I say this all the time because it just makes sense to me. Don't go jump off the roof and then blame God for gravity. You're the ding-dong that went and jumped off the roof. Right? So let's listen and let's understand what God's will is and let's dig in deeper. But the more that I get to know God's moral will, what his word says, and his sovereign will as I spend time with him, he will show me and he will guide my path and he will direct me. Psalm 139.16 says this, 
Your eyes, God, you saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Man. In case you're wondering if embryos are babies, yes, they are. God is pro-life. And God looks in, and he has a plan for every one of us. I really want you to vision this. I don't know how it works in heaven. I don't know if they have this big bank of information or whatever. But they're literally, I'm making this up. But I, th- I kind of like to think that somewhere in, the he- in heaven, there's a book that says Chris Clem on it. Sure, it's a good book. It's exciting. <laughs> Plenty of adventure. And here, here's the way this works. God has has a plan for you. God has an amazing plan for your life. It's already written out. But here's what God does, is he partners with us. And he's got this plan. And if we'll participate in his plan, our story is going to turn out pretty good. But God, because he gives us free choice, he hands us the pen. And he allows us to help write our story. The problem with most of us is, there are some chapters we'd ne- rather not read, huh? Anybody else? There are. I know and we've all got those. And I want you to understand today, there are no mistakes. God, God does not make mistakes. There are no mistakes. Everybody has value in the kingdom of God. Everybody does. Every person is important. God has a plan for everyone. Here's the good news. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What an amazing promise. In other words, as bad as you can mess up stuff, as bad as you can mess up stuff, God can make something amazing out of it. You know, we laugh all the time. I know many of you have probably never heard the story, but uh, a few years ago, we first moved here. I burned down about five acres and scared myself really bad. Right? Right? And it was bad. It was scary. And, and But here's what's amazing about that. This fire burns through, scary fire, burns through, brushes up here. I mean, I mean, it was bad. But you know what happened? Nobody got hurt. And a few weeks later, after it started raining, those things, that pasture looked better than it's probably ever looked. Because all the bad stuff got burned off. And then what came up was just beautiful, lush, green grass. So what started out as a mess that I created, God was able to sovereignly step in and take that mess and turn it into something that I couldn't. And that's how it is with many of our lives. You've made mistakes. Some of you right now are actively making mistakes. But if you will choose to turn around and give God your life, and say, God, I've made a mess. Look at this fire. He can literally take it, and he can make something amazing out of it. But you have to make the decision to do that. He can restore your marriage. He can give you a better job. He can tell you where to go to college. He can fix anything. Anything. And I love that. The Bible tells us. And we know that in all things, not in some things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I want to talk right now about choosing the right door. How do we do it? How do we choose the right door? Romans 5.20 says this, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You ever heard that? Well, I can sin all I want to because grace is bigger than my sin. That is true. Grace is always bigger. You cannot out God's forgiveness and his grace. But there are repercussions a lot of times for the sin that you do commit. How many of you have ever seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? All the Southerners raise their hands. <laughs> do you remember? What was the fellow's name, Marty, that got uh, baptized first? What was the name? Delmar? I remember <laughs> he goes out there and Delmar gets dunked in that river and he comes up, Woo, boys, come on in, the water's fine. He said, the Lord forgave me even for that piggly wiggly that I knocked over and wherever it was. And, and they're all having a good time. 
And Ulysses says to him, says, well, he said, the Lord may have forgiven you, but I don't think the state of Mississippi is going to. Y'all remember that? There are sometimes there are things that happen in our life that there are repercussions for. Now, here's the good news. God can even help deliver you from some of those. But sometimes there are repercussions for some of the things that we've done. And we don't need to try to out God's grace because I can guarantee you, even though God will forgive you, sometimes there are repercussions. Romans 6, 1 through 2 says this, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul says this, By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it in any longer? And this is what I wrote. One of the true signs of a submitted life, one of the true signs of a Christian, of somebody that's really growing in their relationship with God, is that we begin to reflect God's character in our actions. In other words, we become like him. The truth is, the longer you're a Christian and the closer you grow to God, the more you begin to act like Jesus did. You become a reflection of God's grace and character. Amen? Does that make sense? The closer we get to God, the more we begin to look like and act like him. Isaiah 30, 21 says this. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, I love this, this is the way, walk in it. As we draw closer to God, we begin to act more like him. But here's the other promise that God gives us. The Holy Spirit in our lives, God's presence in our lives. When you're walking along and all of a sudden the voice of the Lord will speak to you. And he'll say, go this way. Miles and I were talking yesterday. We were out driving around and having a good time. And and we were talking about hearing the voice of God. And I told him this. I said, Miles, if you're ever out driving or whatever, and you hear something inside you says you need to pull over, I said, Miles, that's the Holy Spirit. I said, you pull over at a safe spot because you don't know what's up around the corner. And we've all got to get sensitive enough to God when he can speak. Sometimes God will just speak to you and the Holy Spirit will just have a thought come in your mind and says, you know what, you need to call so-and-so. And you pick up the phone and you call them and say, man, I was just thinking about you. Don't know what's going on, but I wanted to call you. How many times in your life, in my life, have people called me in a moment of crisis? And it was God setting up a divine intervention for that person. And it ended up changing their life or changing their circumstance. We can hear the voice of God speak. And sometimes when these decisions are coming up in your life, God wants to speak to you. But you need to listen because sometimes God will speak and we'll do the opposite thing. Bam, guardrail. Guardrail. So here's the big question today. How can I know God's will for my life and how can I choose the right door? This is where we're going to get down to the practical side. I've told you the theology behind this. It's all true. So what's the practical side? How do I do it, Pastor? Show me how to do it. This is how to do it. Here's number one. Ask yourself, these are three questions you need to ask yourself and then be honest about. Here's number one. What am I doing that I should not be doing? What am I doing that I should not be doing? What thoughts, behaviors, or actions are you doing right now that go against God's word? What are you doing? That's number one. If you want to know God's will for your life, the first thing you need to do is stop doing some of the things you're doing. You know, there's an old business adage, but it's true for anything in life. If you find yourself in a hole, what do you do? Stop digging. Stop digging. Let me ask you a question, just as I'm curious. How many of you, the biggest problems in your life, you caused yourself? Step away from the shovel. (laughs) Step away from the shovel. What are you doing that you shouldn't be doing? Stop. Now, that sounds easy, doesn't it? Well, Pastor, I can't stop. I have an addiction. Pastor, I can't stop. I'm, I'm in too deep. Pastor, whatever it is, you know what? There is help for you. God can help you. There are people in this church that will help you. But it's beginning in here to make a decision that I don't want to be that way anymore. And I need help. And we begin to make those turns away. 
Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform, do not be like the world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, I, always, I, I don't know why I've noticed this, but, but, but one of the things that, that I see in life, if, if you've got a, a jar of almost anything, of a liquid that's nasty or whatever, if you take clean water under pressure and you stick it in that jar, what will eventually happen? It'll eventually push all that other junk out, won't it? And that's the way it works in our relationship with God. If you're dealing with things in your life right now that have made your cup look pretty bad, if you'll just put the power of God in your life and allow him to continue to flow in you, he will blow out all that junk. But you know what? If you just come in every once in a while and pour a teaspoon of clean water in there, what's going to happen? Nothing. It's going to turn out like the rest of it. And that's how many of us do in our lives. You know, I was so proud the other day. Taylor didn't know I was doing this. And I'm not just doing it because I'm bragging on her, but I've seen Miles do it too and, and Kennedy. But I walked up the other day. It was early in the morning. It was probably 7.30, 7.45 in the morning. And I walked up and I, I looked over and Taylor was laying on her bed. She had her Maxwell Leadership Bible out and a notebook. And she was going through there and writing notes. I just turned around and walked out, and I went downstairs, and I said, thank you, God. I wish I'd have done more of that when I was 18. You know, if you do that long enough, nobody's making her do that. And I'm proud of her, but she's doing that for her own self. If she'll do that, her life will turn out well. And some of you say, well, pastor, I'm 43, or I'm 62, or I'm whatever. Look, it's irrelevant. I don't care if your nasty cup of water has been nasty your whole life. If you'll begin to put the power of God in there under pressure continuously, allowing that stream of water to flow continuously in you, it will blow out all the other junk. Because darkness and light cannot abide together. And this is not a wrestling match between your life and God. That's a joke. Oh, it's Satan and God, and who's going to win? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in life. Satan is a created being. He has limited power. And when God shows up, darkness flees, period. So it's not a wrestling match, it's a decision. So let's get that clear. The devil made me do it. No, dipstick, you did it yourself. Come on, how many times? I don't know how my hand got in this cookie jar. Really? <laughs> come on alright so the first one is what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing and stop it Proverbs 4 25 through 27 says this let your eyes look straight ahead fix your gaze directly before you make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm do not swerve to the right or the left keep your foot from evil guardrail uh, when my brother and I oh I was probably 13 he was probably 11 my dad was in sales and he was uh, working up in new mexico and he had decided that he was going to take my brother and my mom and i up and we were going to go skiing redneck skis go ahead and picture that right now so we get up in the mountains and my brother's crazy but anyway we get up in the mountains and, and we we're taking these lessons and we're on this little bitty ski slope and we're taking these lessons and we just go down to the bottom. We did that about twice, and we looked up, and here comes my mom, screaming, ah! literally, ah! the whole class is lined up. None of us know what we're doing. There's probably 15 or 20 of us. My mom <laughs> is coming down the hill, totally out of control, ah! hits the class, knocks everybody down. True story. <laughs> lesson over we're out of here okay my brother and I just left you're like we don't know who that crazy lady is we're going skiing so we head up to the top so the lesson we I had you know I'm really prepared for the skiing thing I've been you know I've already had 30 minutes I'm good so we go up to the top of the mountain and start skiing well near the end of the day my brother and I were together and there weren't very many people and it started to get really cloudy the ski slopes about to close and my brother goes 
dude, I've got an idea. And I'm like, what? He goes, let's go through the woods. Okay, now, now remember, I'm from Texas. I've seen a grand total of, you know, three inches of snow my whole life or something. So I'm like, cool, man, let's go. So we go off, and we didn't go three feet into the woods until it was up to here. And then it started getting dark. Well, I don't know how, but after an hour or two, we were able to dig ourselves out of, this, out of the woods, and we go up, <laughs> and, and we, we ski down. Somehow the ski patrol, we found out later, everybody in the ski patrol was looking for us. We never saw them. We finally get down, and, and, and there's this huge, they call it a bowl, where, where the bottom of the ski slope opens up, and it's just a big, wide-open area. And there was the, the big ski hut and one figure, Mama. And even at 300 yards, I knew who it was. So, so my brother and I, woo, we go skiing down, and she's like, well, you know, it was awesome. <laughs> We were doing what we shouldn't have been doing, right? What are you doing that you shouldn't be doing? Get back on track. Number two, now this is important as number one. What am I not doing that I should be doing? What am I not doing that I should be doing? James 4.17 says this, Anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. See, there are two types of sins. I'm going to get all theological on you. Two types of sins. There's the sin of commission, which is the sin you do. Punch Billy in his eye, sin. Got it? Then there's the sin of omission. That's the sin. It's the thing that you don't do that you should do. God doesn't look at either one of them, I think, any differently. They're both sin. In other words, if there's something that you know you should do and you don't do it, that's sin also. 1 Peter 4.2 says this, As a result of that, he, people, don't live the rest of this earthly life. They live it for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. We have to learn to surrender our lives to God and do the right thing. Some of you are supposed to be serving in the church and you're not doing it. And by you not serving in certain areas, there are people that aren't becoming closer to the Lord because you're not serving. Ouch. So in other words, it's not just what you do. Sometimes it's what you don't do. Amen? Here's my last point. Why not do it today? Why not do it today? 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. And then he says this. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now. You know, this isn't a complicated message today, but I, I really want, I, I really need you to listen to this. If you're driving down that road and you keep running into guardrails, it's time to stop. It's time to stop. If your life is not going like you want it to, it's time to stop doing what you're doing and get back on the right track. Now, in a minute, I'm going to open the altars up. And you're going to have a decision to make. Am I going to come down and surrender this to God? Am I going to keep a hold of it? Am I going to work it out on my own? Well, here's my question now. How's that working out for you? We need each other. Trish talked about it. We're a church family. If you're a visitor here today, well, we're glad you're here, and we'll be here for you too. But we need each other. We are made that way where we need each other. And if you're facing some challenges today and you need somebody to pray with you, today is your day. If you've got some decisions, some big decisions in your life, then you need to come down here and you need to get with somebody that knows how to pray and let them help you pray through that. It's time to change your course today. Don't put it off. And I want you to understand something. 
Some of you have grown up in church your whole life, and I want you to understand, I'm not trying to manipulate you to come down to the altar. Okay? This isn't about me. If you're dealing with something, I probably don't know it. And if you don't come out of here, down here, if you don't get things right with God to help you, you're going to walk out of here the same as you walked in. This isn't about me. And you know what else? It's not about maybe the person sitting next to you or the person in two rows up. Some of you right now are going, oh, the altar is going to be open. What's so-and-so going to think? Who cares? It's your life. It's your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for loving us. And I thank you for your will. And Lord, I thank you for your word. And I know that this is for somebody or somebody's. So Father, right now, I'm opening the altars. And if you're here, you need to make a decision to make Jesus your Lord. You, maybe you're a Christian and you're off track and you just want to rededicate your life. You need to get God back in there. Maybe you're the person that's got the cup that's dirty right now. And you just need the power of God to flow through you and clean that out. Come. Maybe you're dealing with a challenge in your life right now physically. Maybe you're dealing with a challenge in your life relationships. Maybe it's work. Whatever the situation is, the altars are open. The prayer partners are going to come forward right now. These are people that are hand-selected because they love God and they're here for you. They're not going to judge you. Nobody's here to judge you. We want to help you. The altars are open. Come.
understand something guys you know when Trish and I first came here and we sat down with the board for the first time and we were all talking about eight hours I guess we spent in our first meeting something like that and we, we asked the leadership team here a question we said look 
If y'all want to play church, we're not interested. But if you want to be the church, then we've got something to talk about. And the leadership team, the, the board and trustees and their wives in this church said, we want to be the church. And you know what? We're being the church. So whatever it is you're dealing with today, we're not doing this for our own health. This is for God to move in your life, for your family to be what God's called it to be, for your life to be the life that God wants it to be. Make that decision. This is a place where you can get fed spiritually, relationally. If if you're not going to be a member of this church, be somewhere. Amen? And get fed. I'm going to close this today. And uh, I want to remind you, at 4 o'clock, we're going to be doing that leadership meeting. I really encourage you to come. It's, It's great information. At 5.30, we're going to eat. Hallelujah. Oh, and you need to bring dessert. We'll have everything else, so if you want to mix up a dessert, bring it. I may bring a box of cereal or something. I don't know. And the, and the last thing I want to mention is uh, Lieutenant Taylor Duncan is here. Taylor, I missed you, bro. Stand up. Taylor is serving in the Air Force out in Colorado and keeping us safe, and we appreciate what you're doing. And uh, I had forgotten you were here, and I just looked over, and I go, well, there's Nate. Well, there's Taylor. But we appreciate you serving. We, we recognize your sacrifice and are glad there are guys like you out there taking care of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's all stand. Amen. You want to pray? Come here. And right after we get done here, the Lioness Rising class, ladies, uh, if you'll come up here and meet real quick, I want to visit with y'all for a second. The ladies that were in the women's Bible study, just come over here real quick. Go ahead. I just want to close us in prayer. Lord God, I just thank you for this church body. God, I thank you that it is the body of Christ, and I pronounce a blessing over them, Lord. In Jesus' name, God, in every area of their lives, God, that as they give themselves wholly to you, Lord God, you said that you would give us the desires of our hearts as we would seek your kingdom first, your way of doing things, and your righteousness, your way of doing and being right. And I declare that over this church body in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would bless them in every area. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would put a hedge of protection around them, God, around their hearts, around their families in Jesus' name. And God, I just thank you that as they go today, they go in safety. Lord, I pray for the ones that are having trouble and sleeping. God, you said that when we lay down to rest, we should not be afraid, but our sleep shall be sweet. And so I pray divine sleep. I pray divine health and healing over every area of their lives, God, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just thank you and praise them, praise you for them and for who you are in our lives and for what you've done and what you're about to do. I pronounce him blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.
good. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad you guys came. There's a bunch of you guys, isn't there? Yeah. When you heading back? Oh, did you? So you'll be here for a while? Oh, good. Oh, good deal. Good deal. Six o'clock, anytime. Because we'll, we'll, we've tried to, we've tried to back it up earlier so we can get done. You know, we were doing it at six thirty, and, and we come here and we practice hard, and, and uh, so we was trying to yeah, try, just back it up to six so we can get it done, get back home. So, but uh, but I, I 